Welcome to the Seed World Pro Podcast, where seed industry professionals get the knowledge, tools, and peer support they need to grow their businesses and careers. I'm your host, Michelle Krieger, and today I am joined again by Sarah Beth Aubrey of Aubrey Coaching and Training. Welcome, Sarah Beth. Hello again, Michelle. Thanks for having me back. Just as a reminder, in case you did not catch us last week, Sarah Beth works with a list of clients in the seed industry. So some of you may know her from that. Um, She started her current business of coaching and training in 2015. And in 2018, launched Elevate Ag, a farmer and agribusiness CEO peer group network program. Uh, So she has a lot of experience across the industry. And one of the topics that Sarah Beth and I have talked about in the past is this transition and seeing more non-ag people in agriculture and how that's going to change our industry. So I wanted to take some time to talk to Sarah Beth about this. This is going to be a fun topic, Michelle, <laughs> because I think that in I, I think we are seeing a big shift in and definitely like you suggest more non-traditional ag, I guess I should say, people coming into the industry at the, you know, the agribusiness type of sector, which is what we're really living uh, in the seed world. And frankly, a lot of those people that maybe are non-traditional ag, or some that are, are women. And the dynamic of the, the employees that you'll be hiring is shifting rapidly, and it's decidedly more feminine. Well, and I have to admit that this really, I, when you said that, it really spoke to me because I did not grow up in an ag background. I grew up in South Florida. My dad and grandfather were in the meat business. I didn't grow up on a farm. I wanted a horse and my mom said we couldn't keep it in the swimming pool. So that didn't happen. Um, but I went to an ag college to be pre-vet and then got a master's in agriculture econ from Purdue. So for me, this is something that I have grown into. I have worked my entire career in agriculture, but I actually never lived on a farm and not sure that I ever will. So um, if this is such a personal topic for me and I'm excited that I'm not alone. <laughs> Oh, you have a lot of company, Michelle, and it's good company too. You know, part of this has started around the idea that we have promoted a lot more of the science, sciences, you know, the STEM type stuff in schools and has really encouraged more and more students, men and women, boys and girls, as it would be, to take a look at agriculture as a science-based, technology-based industry. So that's very exciting for us as an industry that young people are looking at our industry and seeing it as a progressive, uh, innovative, technology-driven industry that we all know that it is. And so that has been creating an uptick, among other reasons, of younger people coming into the agriculture sector in college or trade schools that have no ag background. And that also includes a great deal more women taking a look at agriculture than we've seen even less than a generation ago. That's really interesting. And, you know, there are a lot of just general business statistics that show the more diverse your board is, the more diverse your business is, that it really does translate into profits. So I'm guessing for agriculture, there are also a lot of benefits to seeing 
more women and people with more different backgrounds taking these roles or looking for ag jobs? There are a lot of benefits and we can, you know, we can go over a couple of those, but the one, I, I, one of the ones that I, I like, and some of these are farmer at the farm gate, which are you know usually our final customer. And some of them are relevant for the agribusiness sector where we hire and, and develop and recruit leaders and our peers at work. But one of my favorite colloquial stories around the idea of how we think differently as men and women, because we do, it, and that's just quite a fact is around a colleague of mine who is a woman and she's a grain merchandiser with a large uh, firm that works on the you know the board and she's based in Chicago and she shares a story that when she works with growers that pay her a, you know a fee to to help them with their merchandising and marketing decisions that if she can get if they've got a woman leader in the business you know she will really love to make sure that she gets that decision maker involved in the conversation because traditionally, and she sees this shifting, but traditionally, earlier in her career, she would say the guys had really a lot of trouble pulling the trigger. And I said, you know, I asked her, and she, why is that? Why, why did you find that? And she said, because of the bushel babies. And when you go to an ag meeting, you get a lot of chuckles about that. But her point was the way the, that she had found women had traditionally fewer blind spots with regard to those merchandising decisions because traditionally they were not as close to the actual you know, crop inputs, putting the crop in the ground, taking the crop out. They're part of the business, but they weren't doing that. And so they had less emotion, frankly, about buying or selling because they weren't quite as closely tied to it. And she felt like they were more objective in their merchandising decisions. So a funny story to use the word bushel babies. I really like that. But I think it just points out an obvious fact that there's differences. And so acknowledging those can bring a lot of value and power when you have a team that's got some diversity on it. Well, that is a new term for me. Not the only thing I'm sure I'll learn during this discussion, but it makes a lot of sense that just our different job functions give us different angles. So are there other differences? Well, certainly there are, but probably where I would start with some of this is you know, why are more women looking at agriculture? And I think that there are a variety of reasons, but they all make a ton of sense. And one of them is definitely, you know, around the sciences, things like that, that we are, you know, taking a look at. But the other one is the example of education. And so here is something we both have master's degrees from Purdue that, you know, you shared and you read my bio last time, and, and I have that as well. And, I, you know, Purdue is a really good example of a, an agriculture college, major ag college in the, in the country, that is experiencing a radical shift to more young women enrolling than young men, thus more young women graduating with agriculture degrees across the board than young men. So if you are out there and recruiting and going to some of those trade shows, or not trade shows, I should say those career shows or career fairs, I would not be surprised if you're seeing a lot more candidates that are women than men because the enrollment has gone up so much. And part of it is due to the STEM type uh, thing, but part of it's also due to the opportunities that are out there and the interest in things like economics, like veterinary science and the, sci and the other sciences as well. 
I'm glad to see that agriculture is experiencing the same trends as general education and not being left behind where women aren't increasing their enrollment in these programs. I assume then if you're at that career fair and you're talking to women, it might be a different conversation. I've seen some of those, you know, tech career posts where people don't realize, but the words that they're putting in the post might be really exciting to men, like going to be a rock star coder, but really women see that and cringe. So I would think the same thing applies in agriculture, that the language, the mindset is a little bit different. Well, it's, you know, you're right. It's all about messaging, you know? I mean, whatever we're, whatever we're trying to influence others and in recruitment is definitely an example of how we're trying to have a positive influence in order to attract the best candidates to lead our organization forward. So we really want to use the words and the language and the approaches that are going to be appealing to that, that target audience and that, frankly, that best employee that we can get. And leadership is a huge draw for young women today in agriculture. You know, if you take a look at organizations like FFA and 4-H, there, I do not have a statistic for you in front of me, but there is a predominance of young women in those organizations and in the leadership roles. You know, in Indiana alone, I'm just speaking from my home state where I live, the last 10 FFA presidents were female. That is a lot, and that's certainly a difference than a generation ago. And so that we are finding and that young women are really enjoying and, and excelling in the leadership portions of the agricultural opportunities that are out there. Um, I was talking with some recruitment folks in the College of Agriculture at, at Purdue when I was trying to recruit some interns. And I said, you know, I haven't had, um, I've only had in 10 years, I've only had one uh, other guy as an intern. And it wasn't because I didn't want a guy. They, there were fewer choices that have the credentials that I was looking for. And that was shared with me that, yeah, we have a lot of our young women are really strongly participating and attracted to leadership opportunities. So I think that if you're messaging something when you're recruiting, that opportunities for advancement, leadership, for leading others, for um, roles where they can be an advocate for agriculture are really attractive. Well, two thoughts there. The first one would be if there are more women taking these leadership roles early in their careers, would we expect to see more women in company leadership uh, roles as their careers progress? Well, that's where we break down sometimes in how that's gone, at least in the current generation. But that may be different with young women coming out of college right now. You know, often in the past, career-oriented young women have taken some sort of time off or a backseat or whatever when they, they got, you know, when they had families and those commitments pulled them in the other direction. Now, that may be different for the younger generations coming into the workforce. A couple of reasons. One, people get married later. Two, they tend to have kids later. They maybe have other kids. And often family duties are shared more equitably now between spouses. So I think, whereas uh, women in the past have sometimes taken a step back uh, during maybe the most productive points in their career in order to um, you know, handle family concerns, you may see less of that. And that's very exciting to us as employers, because if we've got, quote unquote, as you said, rock stars on our team of either gender, we don't want to lose them, right? We want to keep them engaged. 
So I think that that's going to be something that this generation of women graduating right now with ag degrees that you're recruiting may look very differently than even those that came out of school 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I definitely have a few funny stories. I have a young daughter and I have a husband who is very invested as a parent. I would say that we do have a good partnership in household responsibilities. And I travel a good amount for work. And whether it comes from people at work or people at home, I've gotten questions about, well, who's going to take care of my daughter? And I'm like, she's got a father. So you are seeing those trends. And it's I think it's both ways. I think it's one young women asking for help and accepting it and men stepping up and being, you know, an equal part in both the household and the business world. So I hope that missing out on human capital isn't a reason that we say that women aren't getting as far in their careers anymore. Yeah, I hope so too. But I will also say that one common theme for for women still tends to be that we do like a balance between work and family. Now, that's a pretty nebulous concept, right? And there's plenty of people who say there is no work-life balance, get over it, you know, you hear that. But yet we do want a harmonious existence. And so that's one other thing I would tell to professionals in this business and the seed industry is a great example. You can provide that, especially for your field staff. You know, if, and if they came from an ag background in particular, these women are like, these are, these are like a double gold because if they want to live in a rural area because they like the ability to have the professional work-life balance, maybe they like the rural climate to be near family or to be near small towns or to, you know, have that sort of that, that lifestyle that they, that's, you know, different than an urban lifestyle that's been, that's very appealing to young people in some instances today. And yet they have that ability to work remotely for you and call, you know, get out into the country to see your end user customer. That is even more and more appealing than it ever has been. And it's very, very attractive for us in agriculture. And it's a benefit that we can really sell to those top female candidates. And I think now it'll be interesting to have this conversation again in a couple of weeks or months or next year on just how much more we're able to do remote and how much more we're able to do while balancing family responsibilities, whether it's children or dependents or seniors that we're all together all the time right now. So how this conversation of work-life balance and whether people want to live in cities and how to do remote, I think is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh my gosh, it sure is. Our podcast, uh, you know, this conversation may look colloquial before the year's over uh, just because of that fact and the shift. But I think that the real the real opportunity here is though we've got more young women coming into the industry. They're educated. They have leadership qualities. They have a strong desire to do really good work. And that is an awesome opportunity for you as an employer to add them to your team. That makes perfect sense to me. And I am you know, glad to see that you've been putting all of this together for us and showing that you know, this is the direction it's going. It's exciting. Again, that I'm not the only one. In a previous uh, job experience, I worked at a trade association and we did some research on who was the most respected or who was a respected voice, especially when we're talking about seeds and 
things that become food. And I, the research showed that both scientists maybe and moms were very respected when it came to um, trusting science and food. And obviously this plays into the GMO gene editing discussion. And so it seems like another alignment where if there are more of these women, if they are able to communicate, if they are willing to take these leadership roles, that it's a huge asset to companies to be able to build on they are trusted by the public and they're now available to you and they understand agriculture, they understand your products and they're you know, willing to be your voices. Okay, talk about a great point, Michelle. So I, I want to absolutely agree and I want to put a little caution on that that I bring up in my programs too. So you're right. Women are, are primarily the household decision makers for almost every single product. And that has nothing to do with ag, right? That's just in general with all the products that we as consumers buy. And so as advocates for agriculture, we're particularly effective because the most vocal advocates or anti-agriculture um, you know, individuals are also women and they are making huge decisions. So that relatability between you know, a woman in agriculture and a woman not in agriculture, who both happen to be moms, who maybe both happen to be educated, but might be sitting on the other two different sides of the coin, is a really good value to you as an organization from an advocacy standpoint that makes a natural fit potentially for women to play that role for you and really pay dividends. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think it's a natural fit. It can be an obvious fit. But here's the caution that I have. And I put this in my most recent book um, because I'd seen a little bit too much of it. And I hope it's not too soapbox, but I don't want organizations to box women into the social media role. Seeing just a little too much of that. And I've seen that at the farm gate too, I'll be honest, where, you know, the, the guys at the farm, and I mean that quite literally dad, you know, in the traditional sense wants to bring someone back and it happens to be the daughter this time. Okay. And yet all of a sudden she's now, you know, handling social media for us. Well, that's nice, but social media is just a media. It's just one thing. It's not, you know, it's not a strategy. It's a tactic to deploy the strategy of advocacy, communications, running the business, whatever. And so I do caution that a little that we don't um, misuse that natural tendency and box people into that job only and overlook the other powerful skill sets that they may have. I appreciate that. Um, I think that one of the things that does frustrate me about women's business events is that they do seem to be focused so much on social media. And I feel like women are capable of doing social media, but also doing other parts. And so um, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and hopefully, you know, it does sink in that there are lots of places that women can help. And as you said, you know, they have the education, they have a unique experience, they understand what the consumer wants. And so they are able to add value to many different conversations. Yes, they are. So just, you know, catch yourself, I guess, if you find that you're doing that, whether you're a, a woman leader or a man leader in the organization. I, I have seen that happen just a bit too much. And I think we can prevent that. And, and we just don't want to overlook the other uh, skills and talents. So I guess I've got one other area that I haven't brought up that I want to make sure we point out. 
And so, and it's along the lines of relatability. So while there are lots of women graduating with college degrees and going into agribusiness, and there are also a lot of women that are in customer at the farm, that are farmers. I mean, if we've got around three and a half million farmers in the U.S., about one and a half million are women, and that's just 2017 census. So that means about 40% are females. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, a lot of those are small farms or, you know, because if you you only have to have $1,000 of cash receipts to be a farmer, you know, for the census. And that's true. So there are some of those that may not be your end customer. However, the there are a lot of them that are. And I would cite a couple of additional statistics that are really interesting to me that say 50%, 56% of all farms of all sizes have at least one female decision maker. So from a relatability standpoint, and this is going to go up too. women live longer than men typically still today. So as the age of farmers goes up, the age of the women farmers are going to go up as well. And when you're looking at your younger generation that you may need to be calling on and transitioning from one generation to the next, as far as your primary customer, you really need to realize that that primary decision maker very likely either is a woman or includes a partner that is a woman. So having more and more females on your team as you know, forward facing or customer service individuals is going to bring tremendous value to you from a relatability standpoint. So it sounds like if you are in sales of any kind that you can expect that if one in four of the customers you visit could possibly be female and more than half of uh, the farms you're visiting or the customers you're dealing with have a woman that's part of that decision making. Yeah, absolutely. You can expect that and you can expect that today and that trend's going to go up. So it seems like women, you know, we think about it in terms of households that, you know, that, that, that decision maker, and we've seen advertising in general shift over decades to acknowledge that. And it sounds like it's something that we now have to think about with our customers as well. They might not be end users, but they are very active in the farm. And that really doesn't surprise me. You know, the number of farm meetings I go through to across agriculture there continue to be more and more women present. So my personal experience has fit the trend that we are seeing women in all types of ag and you know they are more in focus. So I guess you shouldn't be surprised if you pick up the phone and there's a woman at the other end of that sales call. You definitely shouldn't and you should be excited because if we are if, if some of the trends that we're seeing are correct with level of education, level of leadership skills, level of engagement in the operation, a different set of thinking than traditional thinking, if those things are all proving to be true, you can bet that this is going to have some really positive impacts for agriculture. It's something that that I'm excited about and I enjoy speaking about. And I also try to take the awkwardness out of this conversation because I think we do have a little of that culturally and, and there's no reason for, for that. I think we can talk about the differences, talk about the unique benefits and values, and we can frankly have a little fun with it as well. You know, as, as culture shifts, it can be a little bit different <laughs> and it's okay. And, you know, um, I think that we, you know, take, take a little wind out of the sails of the discomfort and let's just 
get some, you know, pick the get the great candidates, work with the great people, and realize that going forward, they're going to be decidedly more feminine than you may have thought. Thank you very much for your insight, your explanation, and your statistics. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think we've had enough fun with this one for today, Michelle. I'm just excited to you know, take your questions and feedback. Feel free to reach out to me if you would like. You can uh, find me online on Facebook, Sarah Beth Aubrey, you know, direct message me there or connect with me there. I'm always doing uh, lives and, and different things. And you can find me on Instagram the same way or send me an email, info at Sarah Beth Aubrey. Thank you again for your time. It really has been a great conversation both this week and last. I actually didn't think this was awkward at all. So hopefully we are setting a good precedent for being able to talk about women in our industry more. I think we have. Sounds good, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you.